Um, so all of those that we mentioned, of 0 Octa, I believe AWS Cognito and Stitch, uh, are they using JWT or what's the whole story with, um, you know, the tokens and how do you exchange the information between server and the client? Uh, yeah, so generally they are using JDBTs. Um, I don't love JDBTs, but all of these specific recommendations that I'm making are involve JDBTs that are used in a context where it's really hard to get them wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that JDBTs as a standard are fundamentally unsafe. Um, and they, and when I say fundamentally unsafe, what I mean is not, there is no safe way to use JDBTs, but I mean most of the ways that, uh, uh, that you can use JDBTs are unsafe. It's not obvious when you're doing it wrong. A, a, in my opinion, a well-designed security standard, when you're doing it wrong, mm -hmm. it will either very clearly break, or at the very like it'll you know it'll it'll be obvious that you're doing something wrong. Where the, the problem with JDBT, the problem with a lot of, of, of crypto code, is that um, getting it wrong looks almost exactly like getting it right, right? Like if you ignore, let's say, the Mac, uh, the the authenticator on on uh, a uh, on a ciphertext, then nothing will tell you, right? Like there's no there's no error for the absence of something, and uh, so one of and, and so the example there is maybe you should prefer uh, an AAD, so that's authenticated encryption with associated data, something like a GCM uh, or a GCM SIV, even which is um, uh, so it's GCM SIV. Um, too many acronyms, uh, man. It's a, sorry. Too many acronyms. Uh, too many acronyms. Yeah, I know. Sorry, yeah. um, but uh, there, uh, there. I'll throw one more at you. Uh, there was called NMR, nonce misuse resistant. So it's like one more way that you can't really screw up ASGCM SIV, right? Like it's just one more safety measure. And what I like about them is that you know it, it's not like it's impossible to use them unsafely, but you have to go out of your way to do something unsafe. Like it will not look right. Uh, when you're doing something unsafely, even for, you know, let's say the untrained eye. Mm -hmm. um, if you're doing the obvious thing, the obvious thing is safe. With JDBT, the obvious thing is not safe. Uh, mm -hmm. And and uh, we've seen that, right? Like we've seen, and, and been beating that down for a long time. But if you look at the vulnerabilities that show up in JDBT libraries, they're, I mean, honestly, they're kind of embarrassing, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're they're pretty bad. Uh, and they're, they're bad in ways that we could have seen coming, uh, which is, which I always find like when if there's like a, a zero day and it's like oh it's some library and and you know it's got this like nightmare vulnerability in it, it's always very different to me. It feels very different to me as a security person when it's something that you could have seen coming and you felt like you could do something about, mm. right? Um, and which I, I think that makes sense. Uh, and so for, as a consequence, like whenever we see people doing I don't know, um, uh, let's say. Uh, image manipulation, right? Like re rescaling images. Then mm -hmm. we're typically going to tell a customer like, for the love of God, do that in a Lambda or do that in, in like a Fargate task or something with no permissions, right? Because it's not a question of when uh, uh, these image libraries are going to have serious vulnerabilities. Or sorry, it's not a question if, it's a question of when, right? Like they're, mm -hmm. just, they're going to. Uh, you should just accept that and and pretend or assume that it's already compromised. Mm -hmm. um, and, and similarly with JDBT is like what's frustrating there is that like everyone started using them and like so many of the vulnerabilities, like there are things that everyone, uh, that the security people who were complaining about JDBT is like pretty much predicted them. And so we kind of feel like Cassandra the, uh, from the uh, Greek mythology where, uh, you know, basically predicted exactly what would happen and nobody would listen and nobody would believe them. Mm -hmm. um, that said, I, you know, there are very narrow cases where using JDBT is safe. 
where, and most of the time it's like, basically, if you don't know that it's a JDBT, then it's, it's hard to do something unsafe with them. So like in the Okta case in the, uh, or the AWS Cognito case, if you're, you know, uh, using AWS Cognito for, for sign-in and then you're using, uh, you know, the ALB integration with Cognito or the, the API gateway integration with Cognito, then suddenly it's pretty, it's pretty hard to do something uh, unsafe there because you're not actually dealing with the JWT, right? Like you've got very tightly scoped and audited code that Amazon owns minting the JWT and then using the JWT, like it's, it's, it's fine. Um, so, and then usually when you're, you know, you're, you're pulling uh, information from, uh, from, from the header uh, when you want to know something about what's in the JWT. So like you don't even, you're not even really responsible for validating it because if you're, if you're leveraging these infrastructure uh, safeguards, again, like an ALB integration or something like that, then your, um, uh, or an API gateway uh, authenticator, then because the request made it to you, it's, um, it's already authenticated, which isn't perfect, but it's a lot better than doing everything in the same application. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, basically, yes, all these things use JDBTs. That is not an endorsement of JDBTs. That is me saying, uh, you know, they, um, you, uh, you're using them in a specific set, in a specific context, and that is why it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you know, there's still all sorts of issues with JDBTs, like you know, well, revocation kind of sucks. Uh, mm-hmm. And right. uh, as soon as you've got to do revocation, you have a centralized database anyway. And kind of the point of JDBT was avoiding the centralized database. Um, right. you know, uh, there's also like issues around OAuth too, but like if I start talking about OAuth too, we're going to be talking for another three hours. Uh, uh that's a, that's a, a separate can of worms. Uh, when it, the things that, the thing that I think makes JDBT an interesting, uh, uh, problem and sometimes for me a frustrating problem is that it's very hard to, every time that we have a conversation about like a specific JDBT flaw or a specific problem within JDBT, then the answer is always like, okay, well, we could just like write our code to not have that issue. And therefore, we're kind of like avoiding the broader conversation about like, what are the, the risks being introduced by doing this this way? Mm. Um, and then finally, if you wanted to talk about like the overall risk, like it's never good enough to talk about like one crypto vulnerability, right? Like, because it's, it's not about one crypto vulnerability. It's about this entire system of like, well, you almost always you're going to be using it in the context of OAuth too. So now it matters like, okay, well, are you doing, I don't know, are you doing implicit flow or are you doing... Uh, you know, an off code flow with Pixie, like those are different things. They have different security properties. I'm not saying implicit flow is bad and I'm not saying uh, off code flow is good. I'm saying it matters that you're doing one or the other and they have different security properties. So every time that you start a conversation about, uh, about this, it turns out like it gets into this, it gets into the weeds so quickly that it's, it's hard to make progress. So uh, instead I just like to make like very specific recommendations because at the end of the day, most people like, they're developing an application, right? Like their job is not to understand the security implications of uh, OAuth extensions, right? Like their job is to get the application working. Mm-hmm. So that's why I prefer to just make like, you know, very, very specific recommendations. Like, yeah, fine, whatever. Uh, Okta, uh, Cognito, great. Leverage infrastructure wherever you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess you would prefer cookies versus JWT. Well, uh, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, not enough context available in order to answer that question right. uh, that, that question fully uh, if if you have the choice then yes uh, then you know the nice thing about cookies is that they're easy to revoke and uh, you know it's, there are classes of vulnerabilities that are hard to um, that are, are hard to have with cookies um, for example we saw a, a vulnerability recently where um, 
there was a um, there was like a, a password lockout. So it was like three attempts, uh, and then you're like locked out for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. But the number of remaining attempts in the lockout was in a JDBT. It was incidentally this JDBT was being set as a cookie. Um, so the JDBT was just being stuffed in like the, the cookie header. Um, but of course, the problem with that is like I can use the previous JDBT, right? Uh, and and just repeat that again and again and again. And now I've got infinity tries. I'm supposed to have three, but I'm just using the previous one that says they have three and your backend trust me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's still, in my experience, most of the time you end up needing to have state somewhere anyway. So mm-hmm. I think that the upside to JDBT is somewhat limited. But... On the other hand, I think that the there are so many applications that will eventually need SSO anyway. And SSO is a good thing, I think, mm-hmm. overall. Certainly better than usernames and passwords. Mm-hmm. Um, and so SSO is a good thing. Cognito is a really good way of getting, or, and I keep saying Cognito, Cognito, Octa, something like infrastructure. Like, don't own the SAML library is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you're doing that, then it turns out that on the back end, they end up doing stuff with JDBTs. So yeah, you sure you end up with JDBTs. That's not an endorsement of JWT. It's just saying like, you know, the advantages of um, having uh, like the risks are mitigated because you're using them in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the um, uh, so, so there, there's less risk. And then you, there are significant advantages to having uh, them, you know, having the infrastructure be managed for you, having the code be managed for you. Mm. All right, so we let's say we decided on you know cookies versus JWT. We're going with I don't know JWT for this uh, sake. And what about storing this information on the client, local storage, session storage, anywhere else? Uh, I think from a security perspective, they're basically identical. Um, you know, there are there might be some mitigations, like for example, I mentioned earlier, if you're hosting user stored uh, user generated content, especially when you're mixing across users. Um, mm-hmm then uh, it, you know, it'd be a good idea to put that on a separate domain um, because if there is a cross-site scripting vulnerability, then you don't lose all of the stuff in session storage or, or local store. Um, but yeah, like, you know, as soon as, as long as it's for, for reasonable assumptions about the listeners, which I'm guessing most of them are going to be either doing some kind of closure script, uh, probably react back, back to application. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, you know, there, there, there's going to be some kind of mitigations that you can't really do, right? Like the front end has so much behavior, it has to have a lot of information mm-hmm. um, in order to be useful. So I'm not going to tell you like, well, don't, don't do that. That's unsafe. Like, no, you, you, you have to do that in order to satisfy the functional requirements. So what we're going to recommend instead might be more like, well, let's, add a content security policy, right? Let's make sure that all the user-generated content is in a separate origin. Let's make sure that, you know, uh, if you're already using React, it's, it's usually pretty hard to have a cross-site scripting vulnerability, but, you know, let's make sure that you've got a solid anti-CSERF story, right? And, and CSERF, like, um, client-side request forgery uh, prevention doesn't have to be complicated, right? It can literally be the backend insists on a content type of application JSON being set explicitly. Done. Right, like that's that's good enough, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we're going to be looking at more stuff like that. And 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 as for like local storage versus session storage, I don't you know particularly care. The big difference is um, usually the way security people analyze this is after I get cross-site scripting, right? After I get code execution within the application, 
then can I steal the cookie? Yes. Or can I steal, sorry, the credential? Yes or no. And so if it's in a cookie that isn't set marked HTTP only, then I can, I can go get the cookie. If it's in local storage, obviously I can as well. Now, mm-hmm. um, there are practical advantages. First of all, there are practical advantages to it being available from JavaScript and not being set as a cookie. Um, in, in particular, you know, it's, it's easier to make uh, requests to different endpoints, for example, right? Because you have the cookie. So it's easy to put in an XML HTTP request, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and go send, the, go send out the credential. Um, so security people, you know, sometimes analyze this as, well, yes, but it's easier to exfiltrate the credential, which is true. But if I already have code execution inside the application, and this is like a, a really rich single page app, most of these applications, like that's the entire app, right? Like it's all of the functionality is available through um, through the front end. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be like super defeatist about this and say like, well, if you've got cross-site scripting, it's kind of game over. Uh, but I am saying, you know, it feels like you need to do so many other things. Like, for example, differential auth. You might have noticed when you uh, do sensitive things in GitHub, it'll ask you to authenticate again, right? Like mm-hmm. in my case, right. it'll ask me to like tap my my U2F key. Um, and, you know, G Suite does stuff like that. Other applications do stuff like that. Um, usually in a front-end application, you're not going to, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a pretty sophisticated application security technique, right? Like it's, it's going to be, you're going to be pretty far along. This is not a tiny startup anymore, right? Like it's not going to be a, a high priority. So, you know, from my perspective, the things that I would focus on is like avoid cross-site scripting to begin with, with things like a CSP, with, uh, sorry, content security policy, um, mm-hmm. with things like, you know, running dangerous user-generated content on a separate origin. But I'm going to be maybe less focused on like worrying about, you know, is this credential stored in a HTTP-only cookie or is this credential stored in, in local storage? I'm not, I'm not going to say I don't care, but it just seems like a really nitpicky thing to worry about because like I already have code execution in the application. I can just use the cookie. Like I don't need to be able to exfiltrate it, right? Like I can just use them directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it would really matter whether or not you were exfiltrating or using it directly, then maybe what you should be looking at is like, okay, let's do behavioral analysis on, uh, you know, like uh, let's, let's specifically make people re-off for very sensitive operations or, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of like techniques like that where, um, where I, I just don't think that exfiltrating the credential is for a lot of applications. That's really what's going to matter the most. If I've got code execution in the single page app and the single page app has all of the functionality for your app, then I'm already done, right? It's already game over. Who cares if I can read the actual cookie or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, like there are scenarios where it matters, but like if you're doing other, uh, other things safely, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So the, the next part after we have our application maybe is to think about the infrastructure and how can we secure this one. Um, so is there anything there? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a great question. The um, so <clears throat> a couple of thoughts. One of the things that I like about modern, well architected security practices is that they actually want most of the same things that the uh, like the modern well-architected infrastructure non-security specific people want anyway. So for example, as a security person, if if the answer to how do you manage infrastructure is I log into the AWS console and I click around, then I'm mm-hmm. going to be pretty unhappy. And presumably your infrastructure person is also going to be pretty unhappy if the answer is I, you know, I send it to the console and I click around. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that it's impossible to have security vulnerabilities with Terraform uh, or with you know CDK or, or Pulumi or whatever. But it is going to be a lot easier to systemically address them if you do have that problem. It's going to be a lot easier to fix them, right? Um, so definitely infrastructure as code. 
love that as a you know as a security person. Um, and incidentally, your infrastructure people would be happy to. Um, the way that we do uh, uh, infrastructure security is twofold. One, we look at infrastructure as actually deployed. So we use an AWS role or you know a GCP service account um, to look at what's actually there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just we're auditing it essentially from the the AWS uh, SDK or sorry the AWS API. Oh, well, we're incidentally using the AWS SDK too, but we're using it from we're looking at it from the the uh, you know GCP the gRPC APIs, or we're looking at it from AWS from the um, mm-hmm. those APIs. And so we're doing things like um, you know download all of the instances and then make sure that they, none of them have secrets in the uh, in the user data uh, or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe I should uh, specify that one a little bit more. So when you create an EC2 instance, um, there is in GCP and pretty much every cloud provider has the same thing. Um, there is a thing called usually user data, um, which is a very, uh, it's a very um, uh, confusing term because you would think that it means your user's data. It, it doesn't, it's you, you're the user. Um, so it's, it's user data from, the, from, from AWS's perspective. Um, and it's like, it's basically the scripts that run when you boot the EC2 instance. Um, and a lot of people put, will put like a secret in there. They'll put like a, uh, you know, um, a API key or something like that. And what they forget is that, um, you can still get access to the, uh, to that information after the instance is booted. Um, because it's like, it feels like a feature where it's just like, oh, when we start the instance, we're going to go run this code. And what they forget is that like, oh, it's not gone once the instance is started, right? Like instantly go look at it. So, um, uh, uh, let's see, infrastructure's code. We look at the infrastructure as uh, as the at the infrastructure as deployed. We actually use a pile of closure for that. Um, so we have a pile of closure that looks at let's say the AWS uh, SDK descriptions, and then it builds this graph um, of of all of the dependencies of, um, uh, of of all of these AWS operations. So, for example, uh, I want to check that all of your EBS volumes are. Uh, encrypted and you know have certain properties or don't have certain properties, but before you can do um, uh, or, or let's say snapshots before you can call EC2 describe instance attributes, which is the thing that tells you all the properties about uh, the um, or sorry describe image attributes um, that tells you all the properties about the image. Mm-hmm. You have to know which image IDs exist, right? So you have this dependency graph because you have to call you know list images or sorry describe images uh, before you can call um, describe image attributes. Um, and that's true for you know all of these AWS services. So we have like a piece of code that figures out that graph, uh, and then uh, and this is where uh, where I credit Closure for uh, for how that system was designed because um, it made us think a lot about decomplexion. Mm-hmm. And one of my the things that I'm bothered with every uh, cloud auditing service that I've ever seen is that they complex two things. They complex um, looking for facts. And extracting information, extracting, for example, vulnerabilities, misconfigurations from those facts. So they do those at the same time. Um, and the issue with that is that, uh, whereas what we do is we only collect the facts, we just go get a bunch of information, uh, and then later we'll query on top of it. So we've decomplected the, the querying from the collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the upside to that is that it means that you don't have to decide in advance which questions you're going to ask. Um, which can be really useful both for um, you know more generic questions. It means that we can, for, let, let's say that we 
um, you know, there's a new AWS service, right? Let's say that, you know, AWS launches Lambda tomorrow and some of our customers want to be able to use it and they're going to start by using it in like a staging, like a test environment or something, no real data, mm-hmm. you know, not a ton of real risk. They want to start using Lambdas today. I can start collecting information about those Lambdas without necessarily having a, a fully developed security um, like opinion on how to deploy Lambdas and, and what's safe and what's not. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, once I do have an opinion, like, you know, this is safe, this is not safe. As new features get developed, I start tracking them automatically. Uh, and it's, it's okay if that opinion on how to deploy them evolves over time. It can even be customer specific, right? Some customers, you know, uh, they, the thing that this Lambda is doing is like, it's, it's accessing some public information and it's like, you know, uh, it's not really a, a sensitive piece of code. For other users, for other customers, it might be like, oh, no, this is dealing with like healthcare information and it's doing something like really dangerous, really sensitive. And like we want to make sure this is locked down. So the upside to deconflicting those things is that you don't have to care about which questions you're going to ask in advance, which is also useful for incident response, right? Because anyone who's ever been in an incident knows that you don't know what the questions are yet. You don't even know what the words in the questions are going to be yet. Mm-hmm. Right. So this idea that you're going to decide what which uh, things you're going to ask in advance is kind of kind of, honestly kind of silly. Um, so that's that's how we build our um, our um, infrastructure audits. Uh, we've got both like really generic questions. You know, if you're I don't need to know anything about your company to know that an S3 bucket is uh, an open S3 bucket is interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. It might not be a vulnerability, but it's something that I want to go look at. Um but we also have the ability for, again, specific customers to ask really specific questions like, you've got a VPN concentrator. It should be in the security group. It should be the only thing in the security group. Uh, you know, it should be using an AMI from this vendor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like really very specific graph queries, um, which incidentally, we mostly use uh, data log uh, mm-hmm. to express. So it's, it's, a very, it's a very closure-y application. Um, uh, and then we do uh, CloudTrail analysis. Um, I think that if there's like one piece of recommendation that I have for people is um, make sure that your cloud for, uh, CloudTrail is configured correctly. So CloudTrail is the AWS um, oh, right. uh, like audit log system. Mm-hmm. Um, usually what I would tell people to do is, first of all, use AWS organizations. So you have multiple accounts. Mm-hmm. And what you can have is in your um, the parent account and the, the root account for the organization, you configure a organization-wide trail which is just a cloud trail that automatically captures all of the information from all of the accounts in your organization. And then in the root account, you basically do nothing else or you do very little, right? Like it's, a, it's, it's not the default account that you use. Mm-hmm. And then you have a, uh, you know, it's okay if it's one account, if it's one sub account, one trial account that you do everything in, that's fine. I, I mean, I would recommend that you use multiple accounts for separating, let's say staging and prod. I think that's a good idea, but you don't have to. The upside mm-hmm. is no matter how compromised the trial account gets, you will always have a credible audit log that you can fall back on. Um, and so in addition to that, for our customers, what we do is we um, send the logs to infrastructure that we control, uh, and then we do analysis on top of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sure, we'll do analysis for things that we think are unsafe or weird or you know warrants uh, looking at, but that's not even really the most interesting thing for me. Um, what we also do is we, we, do, we make hardening recommendations based on what's coming in through the cloud trail. So for example, I mentioned AWS Vault, right? Mm-hmm. Um, AWS Vault will use temporary credentials. You can see whether or not someone is using a temporary or what type of credential, whether it's temporary, uh, like temporary user cred, a temporary role cred, uh, or just a, a regular uh, access key. Um, we can do, uh, we can see all of that through CloudTrail. So we'll actually do aggregation on CloudTrail. Uh, we use um, uh, StreamAlert, uh, which is a, uh, I think Airbnb built it. Um, 
and uh, it uses uh, Kinesis and like later Athena. Uh, so again, all AWS services to do right like you know big queries over um, all this data to give you aggregation. Like, hey, you know, here are the users who are using regular access keys, and then mm-hmm. we can go figure out like why are they doing that, right? Because Again, nobody like nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks like, "Oh, I'm going to do a bunch of dangerous stuff for my employer today." Right? Yeah. Like nobody nobody wants to uh, do dangerous stuff. Like it's it's because either because they didn't know, or because the safe thing has bad user experience. So like, okay, great, that gives us an opportunity to go figure out why are they doing this and make the UX better. Right? Mm. Um, so you know that's the thing that I uh, the streamer is it's I mean it's kind of. Uh, I'm gonna say it's annoying to deploy. It's it's fine. It has some weird uh, like you you ve- my my one piece of advice would be like follow the documentation closely. Yes, they use Terraform internally. You're not supposed to know that, um, or you know it's not like they're hiding it from you. But like you really want to use their deployment tools. Don't try to do it yourself. That will be ask me how I know. Uh, but um, uh, that will be kind of a mess. But like overall, Stream Alert, big recommend. Um, uh, can you repeat the the name? Stream alert. Stream alert. Uh, and actually, I should go look it up because uh, alert. Uh, yeah, it's, it is Airbnb. It's on GitHub. It's open source. It's Airbnb slash stream alert. So stream is in a river and then alert is in alarm. I see. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It comes with pre-equipped rules for AWS that are pretty good. It comes with pre-equipped rules for a couple of services, like I think like Google Workspace and, uh, and maybe even Okta. Um, we have a bunch of custom rules, so I don't really know what the, uh, I'm not hundred percent sure which ones are from upstream and which ones we added. Um, but you know, it's pretty easy to write rules for it. So, uh, yeah. Okay. And you would use that for, you mentioned just analyzing the data Yeah. for, for your, uh, mm-hmm. cool. I mean, what I, what I like about uh, Streamalert is that even though it's a Python project, but it feels spiritually a little bit like a closure project. Uh, because it's it's unbundled. It's unbundled in the sense of like they're not making you do uh, you know a bunch of things the streamer way. Streamer is more like a, a and, and this is almost going to sound like a criticism. It's not. It's a compliment. Um, streamer is sort of like a really opinionated way of like we've got um, you've got Kinesis, you've got an S3 bucket that we're going to go dump stuff in, and then later we're going to run Athena on it. And like I just said, a couple of AWS services, right? Like I haven't even really said anything about about Streamalert itself yet. And then we've got like some some Python that plugs in at these carefully um, uh, uh, specified locations, which is great because it means that it's really easy to go, like when you have a Streamalert system, you want to do your own custom queries. That's really easy. Like you can, they're not hiding stuff from you. You can just go run Athena over all this JSON that they've dumped in an S3 bucket and it's fine, right? Um, mm. And so, so it's, it's really nice because it's like, you know, it's parts exposed. It's, uh, it's, very, it's very extendable. Um, and so I think it's very friendly for, you know, tech heavy startups that mm-hmm. aren't scared of writing their own stuff. Should we go now to, um, CoreSpec? Yeah. So, um, we call it, we call it CorpSec, which is short for corporate security, oh, right. um, in, in some other, uh, companies that might be called like it, uh, security. I think that a lot of it's, it's, it's really unfortunate that I, uh, it, I think it doesn't get as much attention as it should. Um, especially for smaller companies. Like obviously at really large enterprises, you've got the IT staff function um, and they're going to have opinions about security. Um, They might not necessarily do a fantastic job, but like at least there's, there's resources. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, one of the things that, so for, for us, um, uh, you know, CorpSec is a really, really broad bucket. Uh, It includes stuff like uh, 
Are you using Google Workspaces, formerly known as G Suite? Uh, are you using that safely, right? So like Google Groups um, being configured. It's, it's Google Groups is one of my favorite examples because, um, you know, pop quiz, is Google Groups a uh, like a mailing list or is Google Groups uh, an access control mechanism? And the answer is nobody knows, including the people who do product management at Google, um, because the answer is both. Like there are some cases where it's obviously being used as a access control mechanism. There are some people, places where it's being used as a mailing list. And so we've had plenty of cases where we let ourselves into a system by adding ourselves to a Google group. Uh, that was it was really easy to you know give yourself essentially give yourself a bunch of extra permissions because of that fundamental confusion between you know one person configured it based on the idea of like oh it's a mailing list and we want to be transparent in our company right so I want to make it easy to join this mailing list and this other person mm-hmm. saw the you know engineering at company.com as an access control, like it's where all the engineers are. It says engineering right there. Uh, so right. That, that's how I'm going to use, you know, I'm going to use it as an access control mechanism. So that's an example of something that we audit. Um, also like uh, authorized applications. So like uh, auth applications, there are so many auth applications that ask for massive permissions. And I'm not saying that they, you know, in a lot of cases they have to, right? Like they're not, it's just because, you know, there's no uh, auth in general and, and, um, well, I think I'm, I can mostly blame Moss for this one. Um, because of the way that you request permissions, it's really hard to request very fine-grained permissions. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I need to go access a file on your Google Drive, then most of the time I'm going to have to ask you for all of the files on a Google Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and same thing with email, right? Like I can't request, I can't say like, oh, well, I only want to see the emails that are coming in from AmericanAirlines.com because I'm your, you know, I'm your travel planning application or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's a lot of limitations in how you do that. And similarly for Google Drive, there is a, a, there are more specific permissions that you can ask for, but like, whatever, I don't want to go into too many details. So we mm-hmm. look at Google Workspaces, we look at like Okta configurations, we look at uh, mobile device management. So stuff like Jamf Pro, like, are you doing something to make sure that all the laptops that people use, all the phones that belong to the company, um, you know, are they configured appropriately? Do they have full disk encryption turned on? Do they have screen locking, et cetera, et cetera, like, you know, stuff like that. Right. Um, and then um, uh, same thing with GitHub. Uh, GitHub is, is another one where, you know, there's so much access that you can have through GitHub, right? Because think about it. When you, if you can commit to master or main, then most of the time that will kick off a CI job. And a lot of companies, if you kick off a CI job, you've got full access to infrastructure. Right, like they're doing like some some Terraform automation, and 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 it gives you like all sorts of uh, elevated access. And but then at the same time, what do you need in order to deploy a master? Well, uh, I mean, a lot of cases it's an SSH key that your senior engineer has copied over from, uh, you know, copied over lovingly from every laptop that they've ever had since they were twelve. Right, like mm-hmm. they're still using the same SSH key from like twenty years ago, um, and um, and that's a, obviously a problem. So we'll go look at GitHub, make sure that's appropriately configured, stuff like, you know, protected branches and yada, yada, yada. Um, I would say that the uh, the, the recommendations for, for uh, that I would make for small companies there is, uh, I already mentioned, go get, go get a, buy a YubiKey, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be a YubiKey, but buy a WebAuthn key um, and, and use that. Uh, use it everywhere you can. Use it on GitHub, use it on uh, uh, Google Workspaces. It will, it will actually make everything much safer. Um, Ideally, don't just do that for yourself. Get that for for everyone. Um, mm. If you've got like support staff that doesn't specifically need 
a particular uh, a particular operating system. See if you can get them on Chrome OS. Um, you know, it's it's really IT people tend to like it because uh, you know it's it's easy to replace. Like if the the laptop breaks, it's really easy to replace, and because everything's stored on Google Drive, mm. you know, people are back up and running basically instantly. Right. Um, so it's nice for that. It's also really nice from a security perspective, uh, and, and a lot of them have built-in uh, web authn keys. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, you know, those are some things that we're we're auditing for. If you go do one thing, uh, then I would say go go get a UTF key and use it. Or sorry, web, these days it's web authn. Uh, but uh, go get a, a web authn key. Use it everywhere you can. Um, and uh, web yeah, authn key is this thing that you plug into your USB port. Exactly. Or- yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, cool. This has been great. Um, is there, I don't know, can we summarize all of this somehow together? Uh, yeah. I mean, let's do uh, three hours and three minutes. How hard can it be? Uh, so uh, I would say that, um, you know, the, 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 the question that the original question was something like, is closure fundamentally safe? And I think the answer is no, but that's not a bad thing. Uh, it just means that a lot of the bugs that you're going to have, you could write in any language. Mm-hmm. And if Clojure is safer, it's probably going to be just safer because, you know, if you look at the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the statistics, a lot of people in, who write Clojure are really experienced. And so, you know, they might, they're more likely to already know how to not produce SQL injection vulnerabilities or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're already going to have, you know, pretty well-honed instincts. So I don't think that Clojure is fundamentally safer except insofar that at least on the ClojureScript side, you know, obviously React is um, extremely dominant and React does legitimately provide safety features. So, uh, you know, I think that that, um, I think that that helps a little bit. If there's a couple of things that you keep, that you, you take away from this, I would say um, go get AWS Vault. Um, go get that, you know, U2F or FIDO2 or WebAuthn key, go buy a YubiKey. Um, go move to infrastructure as code as quickly as possible. Um, go, uh, if you're on AWS, make sure that you have an AWS organization uh, with a parent account with a, uh, that you don't use for anything, but it has a CloudTrail in it. Make sure that the CloudTrail is configured with, um, you, you, you'll go look in the settings, there's like a, a, a data validation, um, which is basically just hashing. It means that, you know, it's kind of like a, a like a git commit. You can't like delete a commit in the middle because the next commit references the previous commit, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, make sure that global services are turned on. Uh, I don't know why that's turned off by default. It's kind of weird, but whatever. Make sure that you've got a solid uh, cultural configuration there. Do everything in a child account so that if you lose access to the child account, at least you've got an audit log. Um, and uh, I think those are probably some of the, the big ones. We have a blog post uh, at latacora.singles, which is our, uh, our uh, blog domain. Um, which uh, has a blog post called the SOC 2 Turning 7. And it's mm-hmm. focused on SOC 2, which is a, an auditing standard. It's like ISO 27001 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But all of the advice in there is basically just sort of like generic basic security advice that happens to be really useful for SOC 2. But they're all things that you should be doing anyway. So maybe start there. Um, and, and yeah, I think that's, that's really the, uh, the, the big part other than, uh, if you've got random security questions, like feel free to ask, send us, um, you know, send us some email, uh, we're pretty easy to talk to it. Like, uh, hello at latacora.com. Mm-hmm. It's not contingent on you doing business with us. Uh, we don't have sales. I, I'm, well, I mean, we have, I'm, I'm the salesperson, uh, and Jeremy, the managing partner is the other salesperson. Um, 
and we're, we're ramping up some other people who are, are helping with sales as well. But like my point is we don't have, you know, like an aggressive sales team is going to be hounding you forever if you don't buy our services. Like if you've got questions, just ask them. Uh, you know, the way that we, um, the, the way that our, our marketing works is uh, 20 years of being nice to people. Uh, so uh, I don't mind being nice to people. That, uh, you know, eventually it might turn into, into business in the future. It might not. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, in the meanwhile, I've had an opportunity to be nice to people, which is its own reward. So, cool. um, so yeah, don't, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing about the security, about your company. I think it's been great. And, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know if there's anything else to add. No, I think that's uh, that's about it. Thanks for uh, thanks for all the patience. Like I feel like you've been listening to me yap for a really really long time. It's been hours. Uh, so uh, you know, hopefully it was interesting to uh, to people listening as well. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating on the platform you're listening to, sharing with others, and supporting it directly by buying some video courses and learning Closure Script and Closure. You can check out the courses at yatsekshare.com. That is J-A-C-K-S-C-H-A-E dot com. Thanks.